Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 315th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're being heard on Voice America Business Channel right across the world this week from Las Ramblas in Barcelona, Spain, which has been quite the centre of activity over the past couple of weeks with a standoff between the Catalan independence movement and the Spanish government. By sheer coincidence, I was um, in Spain to give a couple of presentations on disruption. Well, (laughs) we know how that finished. So... As a very frequent traveller, I've been 50 years sort of tripping around the world, I finally found the holy grail of Italian restaurants. I found it in a little cobbled street in Granada. This is one that you have to put on your bucket list. It is fucking superb. It is brilliant. And the restaurant is Vida Extra. And the owner chef is Giuseppe Cassano who's been in Spain for two years from Sicily, Pepe and Francesca, his girlfriend, are absolutely wonderful. So do not miss Vida Extra. If it doesn't blow you away, send me an email and your receipt and I'll pay for your meal personally. How's that for a deal? Incidentally, it's 2 a.m. here in Barcelona. Fortunately, no one eats here until about 11 p.m. So... um, I'm actually just coming back from a delightful dinner. Now, last week I spoke about ICOs and the phenomenal amount of money being raised without any real government oversight. I had a lot of emails during the week asking questions about blockchain, so I thought I might just touch on it this week. Everywhere you look these days, there's references to blockchain, but a lot of you still sit there and go, you know, what the hell is it? I don't understand what the fuck it is. So I'm going to tell you. It's a technology behind probably one of the most um, remarkable social and financial innovations of this century, cryptocurrency. It all started with Bitcoin just about seven years ago when the world's first digital currency or cryptocurrency only carried a few cents in value. You could get Seven years ago, you could get Bitcoin for about five cents. Today, it closed at $6,200. So if you hadn't invested 100 bucks seven years ago, you'd be worth $100 million today. And the reason behind this explosion in demand goes all the way back to the fundamental technology that lies at its core. It's a, it's a revolutionary public ledger that makes Bitcoin and the dozens of other cryptocurrency is so appealing to both end users and to businesses. It, um, But what is it exactly? Well, it's kind of hard to explain, but I'll give it a shot. Digital transactions is like the kind you might execute using, say, a credit card. You've got to go through a bank between you and the restaurant or whatever it is you're paying by credit card. There's a bank. So... All the transactions need to go through the bank. The bank takes a grab at the front. Bank takes a grab at the back. 
visa or whoever it is takes a grab at the front. So you end up paying a reasonable transaction value and multiply that out through tens of billions of transactions every day. It is one hell of a lot of money. But that um, the transactions authenticated, processed and catalogued through that system. What the blockchain allows is for consumers and suppliers to c connect directly. There's no one in the middle. So it eliminates the need for a third party. So taking a rather democratic approach to ensuring security, blockchain provides this centralised database or a digital ledger, if you like, of transactions that anyone on the network can freely access. So it's totally transparent, totally open, totally secure, you can't hack it, you can't fiddle with it, you can't do anything, you can't lie about what was in the contract or whatever. It is set in stone forever. So the network's just a chain of computers that all must approve a transaction and then it's logged onto the ledger and verified and recorded and, it, you know, no one can touch it. You, we, we hear every day about these companies that are being hacked and millions and hundreds of millions often of um, records stolen. Well, that cannot happen using the blockchain. And because the blockchain network's independent of any government agency or bank, for example, I can, wire, I can send money by blockchain from here to Australia now, immediately, not going through any banks or anybody else and it just gets there right now. And it's going to cost me nothing. And no one can track it, regulate it, or tax it. Needless to say, governments hate it. So the result is 100% secure, 100% sterile means of exchanging currency for goods or services. And uh, tens of thousands of businesses worldwide now process transactions using the world's most popular digital currency, which is, of course, Bitcoin. There's now Bitcoin ATMs popping up all over the place. You can go to Starbucks and buy a coffee using a Bitcoin. Now, that extraordinary rate of commercialization has been the main driving force between behind the skyrocketing market and capitalization. It's now somewhere around $100 billion. And... Uh, this growth represents the fastest growth ever of anything. Bitcoin's now appreciated 9 million percent in seven years. <laughs> so all you poor suckers who thought you're doing well in real estate at 2% and 3%, ah! <laughs> you've just lost a shitload of money. Today, there are over a 1,000 digital currencies out there with market capitalizations ranging from hundred billion down to less than one million. Now many are highly specialized designed for specific types of transactions, some even from uh, government agencies like the Department of Defense. So it's perhaps the most important shift in the way money is um, transacted since the invention of paper money. In the next decade, Blockchain is going to play a really a pivotal role in evolving the way business is done, both domestically and across borders. We already have the major um, banks 
trying to get to convert to blockchain. Insurance companies are converting to blockchain. Stock exchanges are converting to blockchain. And this is creating mass unemployment. And because the blockchain works off AI, um, it's, it's going to lead to a total change in the way we all do business. Eric Schmidt, who was the CEO of Google and is now the executive chairman of Alphabet, said, and I've got to read this and quote it, Bitcoin is a remarkable cryptographic achievement and the ability to create something that is not duplicable, (laughs) I think that's the word, in the digital world has enormous value. So blockchain's here to stay, the digital currency's here to stay, and, you know, you should have a dabble in it. You know, I wouldn't recommend betting the farm on it, but you should go out and you should put some money into a cryptocurrency or a cryptocurrency platform like Ethereum. Okay, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? Every day I send out a newsletter, which is only about 500 words long, so you can read it in about 30 seconds, maybe a minute. And uh, every day we tackle a different subject. We talk about advances in medicine. We talk about new apps. We talk about new technology. We cover things like flying cars, which incidentally have now started. There's flying taxis now in Dubai from um, the city to the airport, which is pretty cool. Get in the car and just jets and stuff. Uh, We talk about things like the Hyperloop, blockchain, autonomous cars, and the newsletter's totally free. Its information's invaluable. And, you know, if your boss takes you out to dinner and you're sitting there around a table with 10 people and they bring up the subject of blockchain and everybody else sits there like an idiot and you go, oh, I know all about that, and off you go. Or autonomous cars, yeah, I know all about that, and off you go. What about this new chip that Google puts? I know about that. Let me tell you. Your boss is going to sit there and say, Jesus, this guy's really bloody smart. We're going to promote him. So if you want to get on in this world, you should get my newsletter. And I give you an undertaking. We will not, under any circumstances, sell the list to anybody else, nor will we try to solicit you ourselves. It's simply a method of getting my name out there, what I know out there, helping you, and hopefully um, it'll lead to more speaking engagements and more consulting jobs for me. So if you don't get the newsletter, go to my website, bobpritchard.com, just enter your details and you will get it from a couple of days from now. And if you don't like it, you don't want it, just unsubscribe. takes two seconds. We won't pester you. You'll be stupid if you do, but we won't bother you. Now, social media is disrupting every industry and the effects of social media on direct marketing is really profound. There are three fundamental ways for you to combine direct and social media marketing and you should have the two totally integrated because these days, direct you cannot separate direct marketing. It doesn't matter. I don't care whether you're doing it on television or doing it on radio or doing it. You know, you can do it in flyers in people's mailboxes if you like, but unless you've got it tied to your social media, you will fail. I promise you. 
Now, a lot of businesses are still struggling to try and integrate social media fully into their overall marketing strategies. It's not easy because each of the different social media um, channels have a different purpose. They appeal to a different audience and they need to be treated in a totally different way. But we're in a situation where uh, 89% of companies have a dedicated social media team, but they usually give it to somebody in the office who they say, oh, he's young, he'll know about social media, he can have it. You know, let him look after it. It's not about that. It's about a marketing strategy like any other marketing strategy. And less than 40% of companies integrate their social media media fully into their business strategies, and that is a big mistake. Now, there are three basic and simple ways to integrate it. Firstly, use social media to build your direct marketing customer profile. It's the quickest way to get information. Secondly, use social proof as part of your direct marketing offer. And I'll go into why in a second. Thirdly, cross-promote your direct marketing with your social media. Cross, constantly cross-promote them so you're driving business from one to the other. Social media enables you to build a better customer profile because you can get a lot more information a lot quicker and people are much more willing to share information on social media than they are in any other form. So direct marketers can easily mine all this social media data for the insights that can help you reach your audience more effectively. Of course, if you want to use a professional group that has all the algorithms to be able to search um, big data and just pull out all of this information, you can build incredible profiles on people very inexpensively and very quickly. So you can find out what interactions took place between your customer and your social media, which posts, links, ads, etc. did they click on? What topics or brands do they like? What do they follow? What do they share with others? And this whole, what are their hobbies? What are their interests? What restaurants do they go to? What are their family structure? Where do their kids go to school? This is all data that's a treasure trove for you as a, as a direct marketer. And if you're not getting that information, then you're missing out on a really powerful tool to build your business. Secondly, include social proof. You know, people do not trust companies that self-promote. They do not trust media in general, but they do trust their peers. So if you've got social proof from your peers, then that will is a very powerful marketing tool. And things like uh, customer testimonials, number of shares or downloads that you've got, um, embedded social media posts, customer ratings and reviews, they all make a huge difference to your credibility and your trust and that then delivers results with um, direct marketing and your conversions and the return you get on investment. Thirdly, cross-promote your direct marketing in your social media. Use social media as part of your multi-channel direct marketing campaign. Now, there's lots of ways to do this. Firstly, you've got a link to your email and your direct mail and your telemarketing and direct response to the social media and vice versa. 
tie them together allows you to maximise the strengths of each. Use social media to create anticipation by telling customers about an upcoming direct marketing offer. Include social media sharing icons in direct marketing channels and encourage customers to share the offers with others in their network. That is incredibly powerful because, again, you've got peer endorsement. So the more uh, you can have your information shared with others, the better result you're going to get. So the bottom line is that your customers do not consume information in a one-channel world. They're getting information from all sorts of sources constantly. So the more you can integrate your messaging across multiple channels, the greater your opportunity for marketing success. And that's why it makes sense to always consider how to incorporate social media into all of your direct marketing campaigns. My guest today, after the break, is Dick Powell. Now, Dick started off digging holes and climbing poles, and he's become enormously successful and best-selling author of How Not to Lose Your Bass in Business. He's got a background, and he he loves mentoring up-and-coming young entrepreneurs. This guy's a superstar, and I'll be back with Dick after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, coming to you right across the world from Barcelona, Spain, on the Voice of America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, No Bullshit Radio Show, where over the last four years, we've given you insights into the lives of over 250 of the world's most interesting business people, and we've done a little bit of delving to uh, work out what makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to be successful in business. It is and particularly for a startup where you're trying to do so many things yourself. And we all need all the help that we can get. And that's why it's really critical to have mentors to give you advice that you can take on board and hopefully prevent you from making the mistakes that so many others have made. 
I've had mentors for probably the last 35 years and uh, a few of the people that um, were mentors to me 35 years ago are still around. And I hate to think how many times they've saved my bacon when I've come to them and said, look, I've run into this issue or I, you know, I don't quite know what to do. And they've helped me and showed me the path. So I urge all of you, if you don't have mentors, and it's, don't be shy about it. You know, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has the same problems. So, you know, I used to think that um, I had to have all the answers. So therefore, you don't ask other people for help because you don't want them to know that you're vulnerable. Well, I don't give a hang about that anymore. Um, if I don't know something, I'm quite happy to, to front up to pretty much anyone and say, look, I need help. And uh, if you choose your mentors wisely, then they will make a huge difference. And uh, they'll help you overcome the challenges that every one of us face. You know, it doesn't matter whether you just started a dry cleaner, whether you're in the tech business or what business you're in, we all face the same issues. And it's a, it's a challenge. Now, Dick Powell rose from digging holes and climbing poles to become the best-selling author of How to Not Lose Your Bass in Business. Dick has a background mentoring up-and-coming entrepreneurs, which we salute at this program. And uh, his mission is to help people to help themselves achieve their goals and their dreams through knowledge, drive, and tenacity. And you certainly need all three of those things. His strategy is to work what he calls his daily five, and we'll find out what that is in a minute, to stay connected with like minds and to be ready and prepared for new adventures. Like I've said to you before, if you, um, if you want to be successful, hang around successful people. Yeah. If you want to be smart, hang around smart people. If you want to become fat and lazy, sit, sit at home and watch Oprah. It's, there's a direct correlation here. You know, the more people you mix with that have got a get up and go and that want to achieve and have drive and have a positive attitude, the more you'll have drive and a positive attitude. And today, with so much negativity around us, um, I was just saying to Dick before we got on air, you know, I wake up every morning and I feel great and I'm happy and I'm positive every day. And it makes a hell of, you know, life's too short not to be happy and positive. Dick, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm really looking forward to it after that intro. <laughs> um, you know, everybody tells a bit of bullshit in their introductions, don't they? I mean, I, <laughs> I, I think um, I've often say to people, you know, when somebody introduces you for a speech and they say all those wonderful things, um, if I actually listed all the things I've screwed up in my life, it would be a 20-minute introduction, you know, because all of us make mistakes. All of us... Um, go through the same hardships. Now, you say that you grew up on a dead-end street. What exactly yep. does that mean? That means the street dead-ended, dead, just came to a flat dead-end, and nothing was passed there except the swamp and woods. Okay. And <laughs> it was nothing. It was, just, it was just wild. So how does that prepare you for um, what you're doing today? I gather 
you know, we haven't met yet, but I gather from your voice that you're not a, you're a bit like me, you're not a chicken anymore. So um, how did that prepare you for what you're doing today? Well, I think the, the best way to prepare me was is my grandfather uh, took me in and raised me. Right. And because we lived on a dead-end street, there wasn't much to do. But he had been a, a custom cabinet builder in his younger days. And, and so he had a big, big woodworking shop. And, and the biggest thing he taught me was working with your hands was a good thing because you had to work your mind just as much as working your hands. Yeah. And that was a great lesson. I think also it probably teaches you precision too, because if you you know if you if you're woodworking and you make a chair and the four legs are all different lengths, you'd be in heaps of trouble, wouldn't you? Well, and that that was big part of it. Um, he would let me use all the tools, but only after I mastered them. Right. Um, we were making a custom cabinet, and it had round circles on the outside of it, and then of course the round circles were cut into a fancy. Um, little flower well okay. cutting the round circles became a piece that i was going to be able to do on these cabinets but he gave me a stack of scrap wood and i cut circle after circle after circle until i learned how to do it right every single time right and that persistence when you're when you're starting a company you're starting a business persistence you know is a big part of where you need to be when I work with brand new folks who, who want to start their own company, believe me, uh, the, the word tenacity has to be in their vocabulary. Because, because it's, yeah, it's tough. Because, Sorry. It's hard. Yeah, so many people think, you know, I've, I've just invented this wonderful uh, widget and people are going to line up at my door to buy these things. And it really doesn't work that way, does it? It really does not. And, you know, that's the whole thing about being seen and heard. That's another part of the business of the business that just isn't told or isn't taught. And, and it's, it's, it's something left out. And they say, well, go network. And they go, well, what's that mean? So there's a lot more to the business of the business yeah. than is being taught in the business schools. Um, it was quite funny. I have a, I have a nephew who, who graduated from Wharton uh, Business School with a PhD, and, and when he wanted to start his own company, he called me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Uncle Dick, what, what are some things I need to do? Yeah, um, I believe that. I, I gave a speech um, or a presentation not that long ago to um, the University of Stockholm, and uh, the um, professor came up to me afterwards and said, we don't teach any of that stuff here. And I said, well, what experience have you had um, in business? And he said, none. I've never been. I've been an academic all my life. So here's somebody who's an academic all their life um, who's teaching kids how to get out and make a dollar in today's unbelievably fast-paced, technology-driven world. And they've had no experience of it whatsoever. And isn't that scary to you? It scares me to death because... I, too, have been asked to go to the colleges, and, and the first time I kind of got in trouble with the one professor because I was telling the young people the truth. Yeah. This is hard work. It's going to take time. It's three to five years to get your company up and, and, and running, and they all looked at me like, well, no, the professor said we were going to make $180,000 our first year. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and 
I think the other another thing that um, most entrepreneurs don't realise is that most of their life, unless they're very fortunate, is going to be preoccupied with raising funds of one sort or another. And uh, you know, once you begin to grow, you need even more funds. So the fundraising sort of a never-ending task. I tell everybody, if, if you're going to be in your own company, if you want to do that, this is a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-day job. Yep. This is not something you just can get in and do. And, and that's usually part of the first interview when we work with new entrepreneurial people um, is, is, you know, how many hours do you want to work? How many days a week do you want to work? And, and it's always the answers are always the same. You know, I, I want to work three days a week, and I'll come in at 10 and leave at 2. And, by the way, can I have an hour for lunch? Yeah. Um, and, and I tell them, well, well you're not going to make it. Your company's going to fail, and you're going to lose money and get into the realistic side of the house. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the part that if I could – if I could put in a capsule to get someone to swallow, that would be what I'd put in there. The business of the business is more than the idea. It's more than the dream. It's, it's, it's always more than you expect. It's going to take longer than you want. And it's always going to have its bumps in the road that you do not, don't expect. Well, there's a hell of a lot of smart people out there that start businesses, and 97% of them fail. So 97 out of every 100, I often say to people, you know, look around the room. Do you think you're one of the three smartest people in the room? If you're not, you're gone. You know, go and look up the classifieds, get a job with the government. Um, so what was, you, you know, you've, you've had success in two areas. You've, you've had success, well, two areas that I know a bit about. Um, one of them is um, becoming a successful mentor. And, of course, the other is becoming a known speaker. And uh, so what are your greatest obstacles in both of those? What's the greatest obstacle to becoming a mentor that people actually seek out? I, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. And was, I was 59 one day and I wasn't a very good, well-known mentor. And next day I turned 60 and all of a sudden I was a well-known mentor. Um, people looked at me in a different light when I became a best-selling author. Yeah, there is a a following of people who need to know that you're you're actually who you say you are, and because there's so much BS in the world, as you yep. said, that that they need to get to know you and build a relationship before you can mentor anyone, and it's taking the time with the folks and in, in yourself, taking the time to build that relationship before you can come alongside them and mentor or coach or any of those things. So it's, it's, it's taking the time. Yeah, and I've had um, five books, I think, and, it was, and you're right. It wasn't until I actually wrote my first book, which was about 1991 or 92 or something, that um, things changed. And right. it, because it, it does make you an expert and it elevates you so that um, people actually want to talk to you. <laughs> Because you're right, there's you know you look up um, mentors and there's millions of them. Good mentors, there's not so many. Um, how did you get? I've been speaking for a long, long time, and it took me a long time to go from sort of zero to somewhere where um, people will pay the sort of fees that I that I command. Um, 
and that was just a matter of being around and you know putting in the hard yards finding out the the contacts of every um uh, person who worked in every bureau on the planet we've got a database of about six or seven thousand people that work at bureaus <laughs> around the world and we mail them every month <laughs> so if you you know if you can't get work doing that you ought to give up but how did, how did you do it? How did you, how did you make that jump to um, being a successful speaker? Well, I, I, for me, it was a little different. I started out speaking behind campfires at Boy Scout events. Okay. And there uh, went on to, they asked me to come and teach and, and, and be an instructor for uh, leadership. So I did those things. And then in my own company where I worked for 30 years, um, I started out digging holes and climbing poles and ended up the, the uh, director of education for that company. Right. And that's really where I started the, the opportunity to speak. From there, I became a company spokesperson for several years for the company out of Sacramento, California. Right. And that was traveling all around speaking for five or 500. Um, and so learning that craft really became really clear to me. The thought of being a speaker was very early in my in my youth. Um, my sixth grade teacher always told me that the words and speakers were the ones who would be listened to, and they would be the leaders of tomorrow. Right. And and she made such an impact on me that I started to learn speech. I started to learn words, and because I wasn't a, the best scholar in the world. Um, that is how I, I made the difference. That's how I, I, I made my mark was in speaking in different places. Because most people could say, well, I don't want to stand up and talk in front of the group. And yeah. I would say, I'll do it, you know, because I, I like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a little bit different than that in that I, I can get up in front of 10,000 people. doesn't bother me at all. I don't like getting up in front of 10. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. When when we're doing a small uh, workshop and seminars, I have to tell you, I really do enjoy walking down, sitting down at someone's table and, and helping them through a situation. Yeah. We're working now a lot with uh, small seminars, working on vision, you know, the future picture, mission, your purpose, and then your strategy, your plan. We're finding over and over that no matter how educated or uneducated the folks are, they understand those three things. And what we have found is if they work on those three things, they will be a success. It, it's a, it just works every single time. Right. No doubt about it. You talk about the Daily Five in your book. What the hell is the I Daily Five? Well, the Daily Five, I, I, I used to teach Mary Kay, and Mary Kay always has the Daily Six, and so I chopped it to five. But here's what, exactly what it is. There's five things that will work with you to find the five things that you need to do every single day, seven days a week, you know, every, every day of the year, that will push you forward to let you reach your mission and your vision. That sometimes they're little daily goals, and sometimes they're, they're different. For me, I'm an author and a speaker, so my daily goals are these. I, you know, if you're going to be a, a speaker or an author, you've got to read every day, and you need to read everything you can get your hands on, so I read every day. Right. It, if you're going to be an author, you have to write every single day. You know that. You've, you've got to put down words on paper and learn that craft. Yep. It's not something that comes you know, overnight. 
Um, my third one is I speak somewhere every day. Right. Uh, it might be only at the grocery store to the person behind me, but I'm going to speak somewhere every day and tell a story somewhere. Right. And the next one is I network. And for me, networking is social media. It's getting out and meeting people face to face. It's it's I do it all the time. I do it every day. Yep. But that's a part. And, and number five is I plan. I have a daily planner um, that works for me for my daily, my weekly, my monthly, my yearly piece. Um, you know, we're getting ready to sit down to Thanksgiving this week. So for me, this is when I sit down this week and look at what happened this last year. What can I do better? What do I need to add? What do I need to leave, you know, leave out? Right. And it's, it's really the time I start putting together next year, 2016. So the Daily Five are drivers that you're going to do every single day to drive you towards your mission, your purpose, yep. and your vision, your picture. What percentage of people um, do you think are born to be leaders, born to be writers, born to be speakers, as against those who learn to be those things? I, I find I've never had a speaking lesson in my life, although I've sort of studied stagecraft a bit so that I you know, know how to use a stage well. But I've always found that people who are natural speakers are much better than the sort of robots that are churned out by somebody like Toastmasters. So do you, Me too. I, I, Toastmasters just, anyhow, that's another story. We won't go there. I think I'm in your team. I, th- I think we share the same view. Yeah, um, and I think leadership's the same. Some people just have a, you know, natural-born aptitude to being a leader. Um, I agree, but so I, I think more. I agree with you, but I think there's something more to it. I think that everyone has the ability, but there are some people who get the spark and want to learn more and study more and and grow more and 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 be around other leaders and be around other speakers and and, and learn the craft. There's there's something about the the way that I came up through the the apprentice program. Um, when I worked outside on the line crew, when you start off as a grunt and then you became an apprentice, then you became a master, and then you, you know, right. you know, journeyman, then a master. The, the thing about that is, is this: you might not liked all the things that were happening to you at that time, but what you learned and gathered from the people that were going ahead of you was huge. Right. And for me, that's exactly how it happened. I, I don't have any formal training as a speaker. Good. It's just I, I've been doing it all my life. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you do you find that um, you know? I, I guess a lot of the people that come to me uh, who are entrepreneurs tend to be millennials to maybe a fraction either side uh, of millennials but nevertheless millennials and and they don't want to know about learning your craft over a 20-year period they want to be you know they've they pop out of the womb they put the order on the lamborghini and they expect to have it by the time they're 24 do you do you find that or do you find that people are becoming less and less patient about learning a cra- the craft I, th- I think we've spoiled them in many ways i i know that here in the states we have spoiled them by saying, okay, if you get a high school education, well, that's pretty good. If you have a 
four-year college education, you're guaranteed of a new job. And if you get your master's degree, it's going to make more money. And by the way, if you get your PhD, it's going to make you even more money. But the real reality of that is it's a lie. True. And so then they get out of college and they have the degree. Um, they have a big debt and they can't find a job. Now, to take that job as a menial job, um, you know, as a plumber's helper, as an electrician's helper, or whatever, oh, that's just beneath them because they have a college education. Yeah. And I don't think they understand the need to get your hands dirty. And, and like I said, my, that was one of the big things my grandfather kept over and over. People that work with their hands must learn how to work with their minds just as much. You cannot do woodworking unless you know math and geometry. Yes. You just can't. All right? And if you're going to do any kind of home repair, whether it's fix the toilet or, or you know, uh, put a new light socket in, it's simple work. But then again, it's logical thinking that will make that happen. So I think we've we've kind of jaded some of our young people uh, to think that this immediate action, you know, if I just suffer through four years of college and I have this piece of paper, by golly, I've got it made. Um, and, and it's not true. Yeah. Um, and of course, against that, you've got the fact that 74 or 76, I can't remember what percentage now, but something like 76% of the top 100 wealthiest people in the world never finished high school. <laughs> I know. And so doesn't that doesn't doesn't that prove to you though that um, um, a lot of these skills are sort of inherent rather than learned? I, I do think so, uh, but like for myself, I do not have a college education. I have a self education. Yeah, and and I, because of that, maybe I read more, maybe I study more, maybe I'm willing to put in longer hours. That's um, the key. People always say to me, well, gee, Dick, you own your own company. It must be nice. You can take off and do what you want to do. And I tell them, I'm, I'm, I'm up at 5, 36 o'clock in the morning uh, because I'm writing you know, my next book. And, and you have to be disciplined when you write a book. You have to sit down and do it every single day in order to get it done. Yeah. It's a discipline. And, and that's, I think, what you're talking about is, is do the young people not have the discipline to complete? Right. So... So I'm I'm 25 years old. I've got a pretty smart idea, I think. And I walk in and I say, Dick, look, um, I've got this great idea and uh, I want to set up a build business and build a business. Um, can you give me some advice? Give me, give me, say, the top three things that I really need to have that you really need to teach me for me to um, have a what really good start with this business. I, I'm going to tell you, I think you've got a great idea that we need to do some things first. Sit down. Now, do you have a treasure chest built? Do you have money put away in order to sustain yourself and this company for at least two years? The answer that almost everybody would have is no. So what now? Okay. What we need to do, what we need to do is take your idea and we need to build on it. So let's, we're going to have to go find a real job. Ooh, but what are you willing to do to get to where you want to go? I want to go. Okay, so you're going to be willing to do something you don't want to do. 
And this is the difference between successful people and non-successful people, is successful people are willing to do what they don't want to do to get to where they want to go. Right. Okay? Okay. So, but if I go, go out and get a, if I go out and get a job, doesn't that prevent me from spending the time I need to spend to develop the business idea that I've got? No. Because we're going to do it at the same time. Okay. And and this this is where it really starts to hit the rubber starts to hit the road. And they'll go, Dick, what'd you do? And I said, Well, I, I work full time, you know, I, I practiced my craft, I I went out and spoke everywhere. I didn't, you know, get paid for it. A lot of times I got a free dinner or a free breakfast, but I kept practicing my craft and and holding a full time job, raising married, raising two children, putting them through college, all those other things. And I kept at it. I was persistent. I was tenacious. I was going to make this happen. My dream never changed. You know, my my vision never changed. My mission to help other people never changed. My strategy had to change from time to time. You know, because, quite frankly, life happened, you know, and, you know, children come along, uh, cars break down, (laughs) you know, all those pieces. Yep. So... Yep. What's the next piece of advice? Uh, next piece would be is now we need to make sure the name of our company really is we can have it. So we need to do the research, and then we need if it's free, we need to grab it. We need to get our our website, you know, name and and grab all those things and get ready. Next thing, do does your where you live does it need a license to do what you're going to do? And then you need to start building your team. And these won't be full-time people. They'll be people as you need them, but you're going to need an accountant. You're going to need a lawyer. You're going to need someone to to know how to do production work if you're building a, a widget. Yep. Start building your team. All these things have to happen while you're still out doing the networking and, and, and pushing the product because nothing happens unless you're, unless you're seen and heard. So true. if you're not being heard, you're not being seen and heard. That's true. Okay, that, that, they all sound like pretty good advice. Where did, where did the name of your book come from? How, do, how the hell did you come up with How Not to Lose Your Bass in Business? See, I, I, my last book was called Kick-Ass Marketing, and I just straight out there laid it on the cover. Um, so <laughs> I was wondering how the bass got in there. <laughs> I, I, I learned most of these tips from a professional bass fisherman. He was a friend of mine, and uh, he was this guy who taught me more about business than anybody else. Right. And I originally named the book just, um, I, it was a business book, you know, Get in Business, Stay in Business was the name of the book. And an 80-year-old lady at my church, uh, said, no, that shouldn't be the business. You should make it to How Not to Lose Your Bass in Business. It'll be a catchy title. Everybody will want it. And then go inside the book and change some of those things. They have bass, you know, names. Right. And uh, I did what she told me, and it was the right thing to do. Great. That's good. So what new projects are you working on at the moment? What's your focus? Um, focus right now is, is radio stations. Um, I've been invited on to WOTG Radio, which is a gospel radio, so I do right. a leadership corner, 30-minute leadership corner every day. Right. Um, every day? Every day. Wow. And, uh, Sounds like work. Well, it's five days a week. It's not bad. Well, and I, then there's... Yeah, I'm, I'm, on air, I'm on air an hour a week business, and... I just, I've been doing it now for four and a half years, and I, I just, you know, my biggest struggle is trying to find 
topics to talk about that I haven't talked about before that have changed enough for anybody to be interested. So doing something five days a week, an hour a day, that sounds like a lot of research to me. I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I, I, everything I've ever written, I have copies of. Right. Uh, so two years ago, I started a new regime, and, and I sit down and I write 365 blogs in January. Now, Woo. I don't use them all, but I, I, I spend that month doing that. That's what I do in January. Um, and, and it's just something I've gotten the habit of doing. But during the year, I, I'm always writing something. I'm always doing something, you know, because I get up and I write every single morning. Uh, if I'm out and about and I see something happening, I, I put it down on paper. The other big thing is doing is uh, um, a thing called the Leadership Wrangler. Right. Okay. And you've probably seen the Wrangler on, on Facebook. And, and he has just gone crazy. People love the Wrangler. And, and I, the only thing I can say is people like Cowboys. But yep. I'm like you. I get to say, when I'm the Wrangler, I get to say whatever I want to say. And everybody loves it. It's great. So that's the two big ones I'm working on. And I do have two more books. So. <laughs> yeah, books, are, books are hard work, aren't they? I mean, I, I, it takes me forever to write a book. I just... Um, you spend, I don't know, countless hours every day. And, of course, writing text, writing textbooks like you and I do is hard. My last book was, I don't know, 400-odd pages of stuff that you'd teach at an MBA course, and it is really difficult to put it all together because you know that everybody that reads it's going to be critical of it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and, and they are, and they will be. <laughs> yeah, and they will. You're right, they will be. <laughs> Dick, thank you very, very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really appreciate it. Uh, that was very, very good, very entertaining, very interesting, and great advice. Now, you can learn more about Dick at ewfw.org. That's ewfw.org. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show. You're on the Voice America Business Channel, and we're the number one global business radio show from entrepreneurs. This week, broadcasting from Spain. Now, there's a big difference between doing your job and developing your career. So let's have a look at your resume. So pull out your resume and then take out all of these sections. Take out the summary. Take out your skills and your expertise. Take out your selected accomplishments. Take out your work history. Take out your education. And take out your community involvement. How good your resume look? 
with most of us, there's an absolutely blank piece of paper. So are you one of those people or are you one of the ones that really want to get ahead? The very small number, like one or two in a hundred at best, who when you take out all that stuff, still have a very substantial resume. It's interesting because when my son um, was putting his resume together over quite a number of years, he took on every extracurricular thing he could do and and got involved with all sorts of charities and all sorts of additional learning. So you could take out all of those things out of my son's resume and he still had a brilliant resume. So it makes sense, doesn't it? So why don't people do it? A recent study examined the resumes of 50 people and sorted them into two groups. Group number one, 25 people whose career and and job situations were in great shape and 25 who were struggling. On the resumes of the first group, there were 185 listings of professional development and affiliation, an average of nearly eight per person. On the, 20, on the resumes of the 25 that struggled, there were a grand total of 15, a paltry average of about half per person. And this number gets even worse when you find that four of this group's people had two each. So the remaining 21 were virtually inactive. So those who had seven or eight additional credits, if you like, on their resume were soaring and those that didn't were failing. Now, is that cause and effect? I mean, is somebody who's more successful do more shit, so therefore gets more stuff on the resume? Or do you not get the stuff on your resume because you weren't any good in the first place? So a commitment to personal growth brings many advantages. It widens your scope and awareness by exposing you to advanced content, coursework, etc., newsletters, blogs, and leading professionals. It provides ongoing improvement. So are you doing your job or are you really developing your career? And I suggest to 90% of you, you are simply doing your job. Now, anybody who tunes into this radio program or, new, or reads my newsletter know that we love entrepreneurs. Now, this has got to be pretty short, but we love entrepreneurs. We love their initiatives, their foresight, their guts, their determination, their diligence, their, their willingness to fail. Well, this is particularly so when the entrepreneur is an 11-year-old seventh grader. An 11-year-old from Colorado is the winner of this year's Discovery Education 3M Young Scientist Challenge, and she invented a sensor that can detect lead levels in water better than any other method on the planet. She is 11. (laughs) Don't you love it? Um, The idea came to her when the seventh grader saw her parents testing for lead in their water. She determined this wasn't a very reliable process, and so she went about doing something about it. So this 11-year-old devised a device which she called Tethys after the Greek goddess for water and it uses carbon nanotubes to detect the presence of lead. She tuned the carbon nanotubes specifically to detect lead, pairing the device with a mobile app which displays the water's status. Now, 
Rayo wants to be either a geneticist or an epidemiologist, who's somebody who studies the spread of disease, when she grows up. Now, bearing in mind, she is 11. <laughs> I love this story. She's exceptional, but she's not unique. Across the world, there are tens of thousands of exceptional kids doing remarkable things. What they need is a lot more corporations and government grants that allow them to develop their skills. By all means, keep idolising sports stars and entertainers and stick them up on your wall, do all that. But add a couple of highly talented kids to your list and support them too. You know, we can really help these kids and it doesn't take much, cost much, a little bit of mentoring and you could make a big difference to this world. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Get out of the road. Let somebody who wants to succeed get past you. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can be ordinary. That doesn't take any skill, any guts, any ambition, any anything. You want to be exceptional. It's better to aim for the stars and miss than it is to aim for the gutter and succeed. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know just how amazing you can really be. So I hope you have a sensational week and I hope you can join me again next Tuesday while I'll, I'll we'll again be broadcasting from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, California, the place where technology meets entertainment. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.